You know, storytelling uh, is so important in terms of cultural learning, organizational learning, and giving people relevance to the stories and experiences that they have. And so Joyce and I, this is our third in a series of storytelling where hopefully HR and OD practitioners and really anyone can learn from what I call immersive learning. And that's not going into a classroom and learning. It's being thrown into a challenge with a lot of unknown. And my story, there was a lot of challenge unknown, was co-leading Hannaford's uh, grocery store entry into five markets in the Southeast. You know, uh, the one thing about storytelling, it's one that comes from your perspective and your experience. So, uh, you know, the accuracy of certain dates and times uh, may be in question, but I would uh, offer up that that's not as important as the lessons that I learned as an organization and as an individual. So come on in, grab a snack, welcome. Hey, Bob. <laughs> hey, Joyce. How are you today? Well, I am just, I mean, I'm, I, I've said it a couple times lately. I, I'm just so fortunate and filled with gratitude. So I'm, I'm in a super place. How about you? Ooh, me too. My front porch gives that, that gratitude spark no matter when I sit there. It is my happy place. It gives me peace. It gives me beauty. It gives me joy. So aren't we lucky? We're so lucky. <laughs> really lucky. Um, I have a fa like a lot of people. I have a favorite couch that I love to read um, slash take a nap on. Uh, yeah. And my my eight year old grandson refers it to uh, it as my resting place, which I oh, find I endearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was here's what I was thinking of today. Uh, thinking of our podcast. Number one, I was thinking how valuable it is for HR people to be very grounded in the business. That if, unless, yeah, if you really want to end up inside an organization, and that's where we have most of our expertise, is um, that's your ticket. <laughs> that's your really understanding is. the business, whether you've, you know, delved into it deeply or not, says, you can be trusted to give other advice and that you're not HR focused to the neg to the neglect of the business. They go hand yeah. in hand. So I was thinking of you telling this story about being sent to fix a grocery store that had was in debt. And then I thought, my gosh, I remember when you and Rick Anasetti were sent down into the southeast from the northeast from Hannaford Brothers to open up new territory. And it was the two of you, right? It was for the longest time, the two of us. And we had one real estate person there, Art. Uh, but yeah, it was the two of us, essentially. And, and I, all I remember is that you had a tiny office and that you couldn't say the name of it or something. What was that all about? Uh, so we were meeting uh, Rick and I uh, representing Hannaford and, and Rick was kind of the VP of operations for the Southeast. So he was the head guy and I was his HR slash all-purpose 
uh, utility infielder, right? So, <laughs> and so I, when I think about that time, uh, we were down there uh, about a year before we had our first Hannaford store. Down where? And, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. Uh, and that's really significant because I think our southernmost store up to that point was somewhere north of Boston, Massachusetts. Right. So, you know, I learned the word discontiguous, uh, oh, meaning that yeah. we leapt over, we yeah. leapt over uh, a bunch of states. So it was a big deal. At, yeah, at any it. rate, we had all new competitors that, that knew us well, because if you remember back then, Hannaford had a lot of people coming up from FMI and other uh operators to kind of observe what we do. So I think we were kind of seen as a threat. And so we made the decision that we weren't going to uh, mention the word Hannaford, nor would the name of our company. We had a front company called Retail Services Inc. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so for the longest time, uh, we kept the fact that Hannaford was coming down and opening stores in uh, uh, North Carolina and Virginia. Uh, kind of a secret. Now it ultimately got out, but every month counted that they didn't know. Um, and I have a great example of why that was the case, but go ahead. No, go ahead. You want to give the example? Well, I, you know, it, it doesn't have much relevance to the conversation about me going south, but what I think punctuated uh, our need for secrecy is that uh, back then at that time, uh, Harris Teeter, Lowe's, our major competition, uh, was a little what I would call the smaller, traditional, uh, mm -hmm. kind of stodgy uh, grocery store. And, and as soon as uh, Harris Teeter uh, and, and others heard that we were coming, they created these new flagship stores, uh, which 15 years later is all they had. So it kind of forced the emergence of Hanford coming into the markets, this is my take, not uh, yeah. something that you would read in supermarket news, uh, was uh, it, it kind of shook up the retail world in a way that Walmart has done to all of us. That's right. So where did, how did you start? There's you and Rick, you have a mandate. The mandate is open up new territory. Was it that broad? It, it it was a little bit more methodical than that. We bought a yeah. uh, we bought a group of twenty six, I believe, at the time, small traditional grocery stores based out of Wilmington, and uh -huh. they their foot their footprint was literally southeastern North Carolina uh, and northern uh, South Carolina. So they didn't even go to Charlotte or to Raleigh. Uh, the intention of buying Wilson's uh, was to give us a foothold in the uh -huh. southeast market and the idea was to learn from the wilsons which we did yeah. uh, but also to use their 26 stores as a feeder system to staff uh the the stores that we eventually opened and we had three beachfronts that we really used war terms yeah. uh, we had we had three beachfronts that we well actually four if you include virginia beach but we had richmond virginia uh Raleigh, North Carolina, and Charlotte, North Carolina, which is, you know, really wide apart in terms of distance. Uh, and the idea is that we we're going to open up one store in each of those markets approximately the same time. Wow. Uh, actually open six. 
So, you know, within a year and a half of being there, we opened six stores in those markets uh, that became kind of our assault on the beachfront. And, you know, I, I, I look back and it was probably one of the best, worst decisions of my life to mm-hmm. go to the Southeast. Yeah. And so what do I mean by that? At the time, there was so much uh, resistance on the part of my family, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. That's all they knew was Maine and Marianne yep. had friends taught up there. And yep. uh, it, it was it was the worst because I plucked uh, an otherwise really happy family uh, out of a really incredible area, uh, Maine, uh, and, and plunked them down uh, in North Carolina, which three months after being here, we had a hurricane that basically wiped out the whole area. So welcome to North Carolina family. <laughs> and it was the best decision for them and for me. Now. Uh, now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have the grand sound that I have downstairs had we not moved, I suspect, right? Um, and and my kids have thrived. Marianne's done well. She had a great career. So it, it felt so bad. And that's where we were talking about courage before we came on. Uh, it took a lot of courage because I was feeling, and my personal resistance, I love Maine. Um, so, so it's kind of leaning into the possibility of a preferred future Mm -hmm. and what lies ahead, because if you stayed in the moment or what you knew from the past, you didn't want to go. Mm, I love that. I love that. So I don't, you know, I think we all face those, uh, pivotal moments in our career. You know, I want to highlight that for a minute because, um, I'm so interested in the brain and its relationship to business, but vision being pulled by a vision or possibility or preferred is um, essential. Is essential yeah. to get you to grow, to move off the dime, to be intrigued enough. What intrigued you? What um, I, I think. Uh, you know, I, I was just around maybe late 30s, early 40s back then. Um, the the, the uh, excitement of an adventure and, mm-hmm. and adventure unknown, um, the conventional wisdom when people ultimately heard that Hannaford was moving to the southeast is this. Well, it was it was a little bit mixed. People said, oh, boy, the behemoth uh, mm-hmm. of operators is coming to the southeast. But most people kind of wrote us off saying they're they're already coming into a saturated market. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, customers are totally satisfied with what they have. What's Hannaford have to offer? So the sense of adventure was uh, really appealing to me. Um, And and also the ability, you know, it's, it's like becoming a master at something that, you know, at the beginning, you know, you stumble, you, you really try to learn and grow, but that implies uh, some setbacks. Um, and then at some point, um, you basically cut yourself loose uh, and and you have kind of an open book uh, in terms of the direction that you take. Um, and, and that excited me. So I felt like I've been a store manager. I've had these traditional jobs and I'm kind of get thrown into this utility uh, infielder position, excuse the baseboard metaphor, um, 
in in a, a real murky uh, but exhilarating uh, opportunity. And you had worked with Rick before, right? Yes, I, I was a district manager, which is someone who operates, uh, what, 10 to 15 stores. Uh, and so I knew Rick intimately from my three and a half, four years doing that. Um, but you were, you were, well, I thought I'd gotten rid of phones and you're having phones. <laughs> I got phones, you got phones. Hey, you know something? Uh, our audience is used to the fact that uh, not only are we technology uh, nerds, meaning the opposite of being good at it. Um, We're real people, but, uh, people. We're real uh, people. And, and, now, and now the world knows that you're one of the few people in the world Touch that still have mouth. a landline. Touch your mouth. <laughs> I love my landline. <laughs> hey, folks, there was actually a cord coming out of the, the mouthpiece. It's not a cord. <laughs> I wish there were the kind that were curly. And when they yeah, got it looks tank, like a pig the bottom and twirl them in to get straight. Yeah, and it I looks like a, a pig tail. I loved a good wall phone. What the heck? So, um, what did you do first? What did you do? There you are. And I and I understand. Here's what I love, and it's I found it to be true of most uh, food retailers. I don't know about others. A good challenge excited the people that we knew so there were people saying yeah i'd like to do that i'd like to do that there were quite a few people who said no to the opportunity down there who wondered if it was a career killer and it was not but so okay the two of you are in the empty office what's the first thing you do i remember this so vividly uh i look at rick rick looks at me <laughs> and ask the question, what do we do now? <laughs> because there, there was more work to be done. There was more learning to happen. There were huge strategic decisions that we needed to make uh, in a way that there was a leap of faith on the part of the leadership at Hannaford, Maine, uh, that these guys are closest to it. So I'll give you an example. Uh, there's uh, the Wilson stores. So we needed to make a, a conscious decision to be very hands-off, let them continue to operate. And then, uh, you know, ease not only our learning how they do business, but also at the same time, uh, perhaps seeing where we could add value. So that was the Wilson stores. Then we had to build an infrastructure uh, and uh, the popular world net word now, but not uh, very popular back then, uh, was the fact that uh, uh, we needed to create a supply chain because we knew that there, we weren't going to be sending ships, ships. <laughs> we weren't going to be sending trucks uh, from, from Maine or New York to supply those stores. Uh, so we had to decide, do we build a distribution center or do we use a supplier, uh, a local existing wholesaler? Um, and then, you know, we looked at what is the design of the stores? How do the stores need to be different necessarily than Maine? What do we call this company? Back then, we were called Shop and Save. Do we continue and bring that name south with there were certain legal restrictions? Uh, or do we create a new name? So, you know, if I were to check a box, there was a huge decision making grid uh, that ultimately needed to be uh, made organizational structure. 
Uh, we decided that Rick and I could, uh, with a real estate person, could make it for a year. But ultimately, we needed to build an organization of HR, operations, marketing, merchandising, training and development, uh, new store construction, new store setup. Uh, you know, it was totally greenfield. It's totally greenfield. And that was part of behind Rick and I looking at one another and saying, okay, what do we do now? It's like, because it felt like uh, almost overwhelming. Uh, almost you know <laughs> and then what you know what i became comfortable in that first year down there i became so comfortable with lying l-y-i-n-g because i would visit competition and they they'd see me in a suit they would know i'm retail they come on yeah. and say who you with who you work for i'd say retail services what do you do well we look at retail and provide services <laughs> So, uh, and you know, you uh, words in the paper. You were a spy. I, we were like uh, clandestine uh, moles. Uh, I mean, our office was such an unassuming 1930 brick built. Uh, I mean, like I'm saying, okay, so I gave up this beautiful building in Scarborough, Maine, and I'm now in this kind of uh, real old, musty, you know, it smelt like a ballroom from a 1960. I visited, I visited, I visited. it. was um, Okay, it, you know what we were up against. Iffy. It looked iffy. It looked um, illegal in some way. But um, what's the first big mistake? Oh, boy. And it, it was a whopper. Um, I would say the first big mistake was our decision to not self-distribute, meaning uh, we used the same wholesaler um, that uh, that was, you know, uh, supplying the Wilson stores. And we worked a pretty good arrangement with them. But when we actually opened stores, the deficiencies in terms of uh, distribution schedules out of stocks, um, you know, mm. uh, really being low cost operator. That's what we were. Uh, uh, we wanted to, you know, provide value through great prices and great quality. Um, so I think the decision not to self-distribute uh, and build a warehouse was, uh, in hindsight, a big mistake. We survived it, but it was a big mistake. Did you ever think about you? You planted six stores from which to grow in different areas. Is yep. that correct? Yeah, it's like we got to get one store open in each one of these four markets. Mm -hmm. Would it have been uh, better to do a cluster in one market? You know, it's a great question. Yeah, that's the first thing I I thought of was. Hmm. Yeah. Now this was a decision that was made uh, prior to Rick and I taking on our assignments. Hmm. Um, what I would tell you is most people think of the grocery industry as kind of this sleepy, sleepy slow and methodical uh, organizations. Yeah, like I used and, to call the food library. Yeah. <laughs> shh, shh. People, people are shopping here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it, the answer to your question is yes and. Yes. Would it be easier to pick a market like Raleigh? and open up a group of stores there so you get some critical mass in terms of uh, customer awareness and merchandising and marketing um and we felt that if we did that 
with our intention to go out to the four or five other cities, by the time we got there, the market would have adjusted in such a way that would make our entry uh, much more dif difficult, if, if not impossible. By, by putting a store in Charlotte, Raleigh, uh, Virginia Beach, and Richmond, it was a statement to our competitors, we're here, right? Wow. And, and we're going to make it work. And it, it came with its challenges uh, because- well, It was a bold you know, beginning. It, I, it, I think it was a bold beginning. And, you know, I, people can rewrite uh, 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 the history of ultimately what happened. I, I thought we were a phenomenal success. Uh, I think some people would say, boy, we never really met the financial goals of being in the Southeast. Uh, but I'd suggest there's a good chance if Hannaford hadn't made the decision to go beyond its uh, footprint, which they did for really good reasons, i.e. saw a slowing down of their growth in that area because uh, we were doing so well, right? Um, but, I, but I think ultimately, uh, I'm not sure that Delays would have taken an interest in buying Hannaford had we not been kind of in food line space. So it's, it's, it's a little bit like me going down there personally. It was like the best, worst decision I ever made. I yeah. think the Southeast venture, people can say, boy, I'll tell you, we never hit the critical mass financial success. We were a marketing success uh, in terms of uh, uh, share of market and whatnot. Uh, but it ended up being a, a best decision uh, in terms of Hannaford ultimately being a better, stronger organization as a result of Delays. So, from a HR point of view, what was challenging and why? how did you meet the challenge? Well, it, it's interesting, so thank you. Um, it, it, so, a mindset that I typically have when I'm hiring people to uh, staff a grocery store, um, I guess conventional wisdom says you're always getting other people's weakest uh, team members. So the malcontents, the people that feel, you know, neglected. Uh, and so we needed to build a brand without a store being open about what it meant to be uh, what we ultimately called the stores, a Hannaford employee. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so how do you build a brand? How do you build a culture before the culture exists. Uh, and, and so from an HR standpoint, we really needed to brand uh, in a compelling way what it meant to be a Hannaford associate so that we were able to attract the best people from our competitors. And we made no, no bones about it, uh, meaning our people, uh, other than uh, sprinkling some people that would move down from the Northeast, yeah. uh, we, we knew that our uh, our pipeline of talent came from our competitors. So, you know, uh, that, that was a challenge. Uh, how, how did you broadcast that? Well, that's was a it great enough to get people to apply? I mean, do people move around from different brands? You know, I always remember that it was tough getting good talent. So I think the, the unemployment was relatively low. Uh, and it was tough finding great talent. So it was always a slog. Didn't have social media back then in a real robust way. So a lot of what we did was through regular media, 
doing, um, you know, uh, uh, intro sessions in each market. So we're info sessions about who we are and what we stand for. Uh, um, and the combination of trying to at least attract a good critical mass of good associates. And then the other is a program that we call Breadwinners. Uh, and Breadwinners was a referral program. So we used our own employees to go out and find the best talent that's out there. And we financially rewarded them. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, we not, we not only gave them a financial reward, and it was significant. It was like $500, $1,000. But we gave the person that they attracted a sign-on bonus that they stayed with us for six months. So wow. I think, uh, and, we, and we call the program Breadwinners. So if I think about in, innovative HR interventions, mm -hmm. uh, uh, th that was probably the most significant. And then the other is, and you were a part of it, is, is creating uh, an orientation and onboarding process mm -hmm. that basically says uh, th this is a very different company in terms of standards, in terms of the way people are treated, um, and and so th that was that was a big challenge because you know every store develops its, its own culture. You may have a Hannaford culture, but every store has its unique culture. And how do we build that? Uh, and we did a lot of things, both from an onboarding process, uh, the type of leaders that we brought in. Um, yeah, so that was Fayetteville part of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, well, actually, Fayetteville was our first store that we opened. That was the and first brick and mortar store. Very bold approach. I do remember yes. that in designing it because I said, why can't you get everybody together for a day that's going to work in that store? It was unheard of. Yeah. And, and every single associate. And I remember we did a lot of pre-work with the team that was going to lead the thing. You and I, to the extent we could, preferred to stay in the background. And all I can remember is that it was really solid. <laughs> that, the top, that what the top team did ahead of time. And I do remember that people came into that meeting. And how many people? 200? Oh, easily. It was probably uh, with everyone, meaning support staff. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was 200 people under a tent. Uh, it was inside, but we had food outside. I remember inside because everybody was slumped in their chairs as we started the morning. Just yeah. like, oh, God, do we really have to What's be there? What's this about? Uh-huh. Yeah. And by the end of the day, there was such enthusiasm and commitment. And I do remember we role-played quite a bit of customer problems. Uh, and so a lot of those to show here's what you can do and here's what you can't or here's how you handle it and uh, it was great it was fun yeah well what what it did in that moment i'll give you a, a very small example that had a big impact i think there's always in retail the skepticism when someone returns something you know so yes. th th that somehow they're being deceptive they say they bought it yesterday they bought it a week ago um, yeah. You know, they, they bring in an empty jar and say that it was so horrible they had to pour it out. So I think there's a cynicism or skepticism where we kind of turned that on its ear. We yeah. saw a disgruntled uh, customer as an opportunity to turn them into a convert. So that meant we, like, we took without judgment whatever they were returning, you know. Um, 
and 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 then rewarded them for doing that. And uh, people are like, "This is crazy. You guys aren't going to make any money. You're going to go out of business. Everyone's going to hear." You know, so it was pretty. And was and, and then the people that were role playing would look up at the leaders and go, "Can we do this? Really? You can see how forbidden." that behavior was in general at that time. They were afraid to say, well, can I give her a whole new bouquet of flowers? Yes, yeah. you can. <laughs> and so, and we're getting close on time, but if, if okay. I take a look, um, we created not only in an HROD training, it was a real innovative um, experiment. And we did a lot of different ways of uh, um, orienting people and bringing them on board. Um, another benefit, I think, of the Southeast, we kind of went down there with the green field and we ultimately uh, created a canvas of just resourceful and impactful interventions and processes that ultimately travel back north. So a mm-hmm. lot of what we did, like having huddles, right? Yeah. Uh, that came back north. Uh, they still were called Shop and Save up north. Well, ultimately, the stores up north became Hannaford stores, and they took on a lot of the marketing that we innovated and created in the South. So uh, I don't know where to go with it other than it's not Hannaford only Hannaford is already Hannaford. Hannaford Brothers as a wholesaler already existed. Our, the signs on our stores were shop and save. Well, we'd have to check that timeline. Well, I'm, I, I can guarantee you that when we opened <laughs> stores originally in New York, they were shop and saves. And I'm saying that now, if I find out that I'm wrong, that we'll, we'll never broadcast this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I am heading off for a three-day vacation in Rangeley, Maine. Uh, and the adult uh, whose company I enjoy is taking me. So... And uh, he loves to golf, and so I'm going to ride around in the cart and try so, to putt. So I'm going to close by asking you a question, Joyce, because you've been asking me too many darn questions. No, no, no. Um, more to explore on yeah, HR and retail and how it relates. You still have that mid-Western uh, accent. I do. Uh, you do. And so... When you start traveling north, do you kind of assimilate and take on more of a, a northern Maine uh, accent? Of course I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better because if you, would that be? uh-huh. if you go into if you go into Edmonds Market and you talk the way you're talking, they're going to know you're from away. <laughs> uh, what does a Midwest accent sound like? Never mind. To be discovered. I'm hearing it. You out there who don't write into us, right? Do take this opportunity to tell me if I have a Midwest accent and what it sounds like, and maybe. And I do have a cell phone. I do have a cell phone. I just. Oh, okay. (laughs) Till the next time. All right. I just want to say, look at the value that a good HR retail or, you know, business uh, of the business relationship blossoms. And I want to come back and talk more about this to follow up on how you did the interviewing and problem solving. And um, it was a real perfect challenge for growth. And um, you volunteered. And so that's what I'm suggesting to our listeners. Bye. 
Thanks so much for being a part of today's uh, conversation and listening. Uh, And I'd like to throw out a challenge and offer. If you are a regular listener or a first-time listener and you have a story to tell about learning, about facing fear and the unknown and what you glean from it, please let us know by going to bobandjoyce.com and leaving us a message. We'd love to hear from you. So until the next time, be well and be safe.